Yellow Journal podcast, a conversation with the beautiful minds behind the world's biggest beauty brands. I'm your host, beauty writer Gemma Watts, and in this episode, I'm joined by the founder of Larry King Hair Care, Larry King. Larry King's earliest ambition was to work in the film industry, a dream that saw him spend much of his early life watching many, many movies. It's a task he encourages his staff to partake in today, often setting them projects so they can understand the references to films and movie stars of eras past that he weaves into his hairstyling work across runways, red carpets and editorials. Larry's first job was at Tony and Guy's Cambridge Salon as a 17-year-old, although it wasn't until he was in his 30s and had built up both his reputation and his celebrity clientele, a list that includes Jared Leto, Gigi Hadid, Tom Holland and Chris Hemsworth, that he began to think about opening his own space. The Larry King flagship salon was opened in South Kensington in 2017 and had received countless accolades within mere months of that opening, with Larry explaining that friendship and an ethos based upon treating all clients with an equal amount of respect are the qualities that set the salon apart. In 2018, Larry and his wife Laura debuted Larry King Hair Care, a sustainable hair care line developed to help consumers create their dream hair. And from April 14, Larry King Hair Care will be available in Australia via Adore Beauty. In this conversation, Larry shares how he taps into emerging hair trends, the difference between runway and red carpet hairstyling, and the advice and assignments he gives to his assistants and to anyone wanting to succeed in the hair industry. It was in 1997 that your mother introduced you to Tony and Guy in Cambridge, but I would love to start by rewinding even further. What is your very earliest memory of beauty? Wow. Um, That's amazing. Uh, (laughs) That's incredible, to be quite honest. Um, What was my earliest stage in beauty? Uh, My mum taking me for a haircut that I didn't probably want, and I... I specifically, yeah, wanted a, a specific type of haircut, and I went and didn't didn't end up getting it. And um, I think I think that was probably my earliest memory of, and also like putting gel on my hair. I used to like put gel in my hair in a certain way, and it was that classic where now I, when I'm telling people how to do their hair, it's, I do exactly what I didn't used to do. Um, which is just, you know, put gel at the front so you get that like kind of like something about Mary like gelled at the front with soft at the back. <laughs> so it's all fluffy at the back and it's like all wet look at the front. So, yeah, stunning. that was my yeah, a real stunning look. And really like that classic kind of like, you know, M head kind of like, you know, middle parting kind of gelled. Oh, it's shocking. But, you know, I was young then. I was probably about 14 at the time. A trendsetter. Do you remember what you wanted to be when you grew up? I wanted to work in films. I wanted yeah. to work in the film industry. Um, and, you know, that was my thing. That was what I liked to do. I loved films. I really loved enjoyed it. Um, yeah, films was my my thing. I went to college and done it. 
um, but wasn't really working very hard. And that's when my mom and my dad were like, listen, you need to get out and learn a, learn a trade or, you know, do something. And my mum was a hairdresser. So she turned around and was like, look, why don't you try hairdressing? And at the time, Tony and Guy was very small. It wasn't mm-hmm. a very big salon. And funny enough, it turns out that I went and worked in a salon called Tony and Guy in Cambridge. And the guy who worked there then become the franchise owner of Melbourne, oh. Tony and Guy. A guy called Stuart. There you go. And he owned all of the, he ended up opening all of the Tony guys in Melbourne. You and had a guy called De- here. Yeah, he, you had a guy called Dennis Lankford, who, um, you know, actually just passed away. Um, so, um, who's an amazing hairdresser, incredible hairdresser. And he run, he had the distribution for the whole Italian guy. And Stuart took over, and uh, not took, took over the Melbourne area. And he, I, but I worked for him in Cambridge. And that's why I done my training. So, yeah. It's crazy to me that it wasn't that big at the time because it's everywhere now. Yeah, when I started, that shows my age now. When I started, there was only, they hadn't even gone into Australia. It was wow. a new thing. And I believe that there was only about, there was only about 15 to 15 or so in London mm-hmm. or in the UK. Uh, not in London, sorry, in the UK. So when I joined, you know, it was, in, it was the place to get your hair cut. And, you know, you'd go out and you'd say you'd worked at Tony Guy and everyone wanted you to cut their hair. And it was like, it was incredible. I read that you were about 17 then when your mum said, okay, it's time. It's rare yeah. for someone to start something quite literally as a teenager and then physically stick to that career path right into adulthood. What was it about hair that you were drawn to? How did you know that that was the place for you? I think I didn't at the time. I was actually against it when my mum suggested yeah. it. Um but she said, like, you know, give it a go. There's all these young people that your age group It's very fun and stuff like that. And I went in and I literally loved it from that moment. It was like, uh, you know, like, yeah, it was exactly what my mum said. It was like loads of youngsters, loads of young people my age. We all had fun. You know, the I think the fact that it was a leading salon and everyone wanted you to do the hair, you felt like a bit of a kind of a town you know everyone was excited to meet you when you when you said what you had done so I really enjoyed that and I loved that so um and that spurred me on and it was funny all through my you know through that I would say up to when I was 21 I was learning and you know learning how to do hairdressing doing my apprenticeship and I was obsessed with it I mean I was like totally obsessed it was like my life to the point where all of the team at Christmas got me a t-shirt made and it was a picture of me on it and it, but it, they changed the name from Tony and Guy to Tony and Larry. <laughs> and it was like me in a leopard print shirt, all flamboyant. Um, and I've still got the t-shirt funny enough now. Um, um, so it's kind of like, I suppose, you know, that, that captured me at that point in my hairdressing career. And then I moved to London and then I think it chilled out really quite a long a lot then. Do you know what I mean? I like mm. kind of relaxed and just I would become qualified and had a, you know, it was just relaxed and just was a hairdresser and was quite happy and content to be a qualified hairdresser in London and not really strive or not push anything that far. 
you know what I mean? So, mm. I would love to hear more about that time. Were there any, say, major learnings that you find you're still applying to your work now? Yeah, lots. Uh, but I think in that, I think I, I apply probably a lot more to my earlier years rather than that middle period. That middle period, you know, I was kind of like 23, 24. I'd got a house. I'd met a part, my partner who I'm now married, still married to to this day. But I was kind of just enjoying London and I wasn't really striving to be like some sort of big hairdresser or stuff like that. It was funny. My mum always used to say, oh, you should, you should, you could be like Jamie Oliver of the hairdressing world. And I was like, no, mum. Such a specific reference as well. (laughs) Yes, she really did. And I was like, no, 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 I'm not interested. And, you know, I was, I would just like to just to, you know, I was happy just plodding along, just enjoying my life in London. And then, um, I think it was when I got to 30, things sort of changed a lot when I hit 30. Do you know what I mean? I mm-hmm. um, I think that's when I kind of got introduced. I had, first off, I'd had my first daughter uh, mm-hmm. at that point. And I think that gives you a different perspective on life. And I think um, I had a good friend of mine. Well, I started working with Select Model Agency, which yeah. is, you know, a renowned global worldwide model agency. And, they approached me to cut all of their models hair mm. and they, I had a friend of mine, she was a booker there and she said, Oh, look, could you, would you start, you know, uh, cutting the boy's hair and cutting the girl's hair? And I was like, yeah, no problem. So she, they started sending them in and it became a thing where literally the, the owner, Tandy, who's the head of select model agency, she was like, I don't want any of my models going to anyone else for haircuts. Mm. So I pretty much, become their hairdresser and then um i started getting asked and then david gandy who's like my best mate he asked me to go on his shoots and that was the start of really the the shoots and stuff like that because i would start rather than assisting which to get into the game of being a session hairdresser you often normally have to assist a big hairdresser Mm. for a long while you know network meet people grow whereby I kind of went in in a different path. And that was because I had people of a high, high level that was requesting me. So when you've got people like that saying, oh, we, we want to, oh, I only want to use Larry. They was like, right, okay. So these magazines and newspapers and brands were all just using me. And then they quite quickly found that they enjoyed working with me. So they would book me more. So I kind of went in the back door a bit and skipped a few. There's still just as much networking in that, though. There is. Yes, there is very much so. There's definitely as much networking, probably even more. Yeah. Uh, probably even more. But um, it just, it, it was like, and I was the first hairdresser. So what was quite interesting is, and I honestly, I think this is the case, is, you know, the Wall Group is such a big agency now. Mm. And often that came about because the Wall Group is part of IMG and WME. So you've got the WME which is the acting part. And then you've got the IMG, which is the model side of it. And then the wall group is the, so when I joined select years ago, select then approached and said, look, can we represent you and be your agent? So I was kind of like the first hairdresser to be represented by a a model agency. It's become quite a common thing now. So they're all like joined now. Um, So it kind of, it didn't actually work at all. (laughs) 
um, and then I ended up joining another agent. But it was quite an interesting step to take, and I think it's quite funny where brands are like, you know, have gone down that route now. And yeah, that's so common now for creatives to have the same. Yeah, crave. Yeah, yeah. They've all kind of got these hubs now. Mm. At what point did you start thinking about opening your own salon? What was the gap in that existing market that you were looking to fill? I think um, I had, I, you know, I was working with a lot of celebrities. Um, mm-hmm. I, I had a lot of friends who were celebrities and I still have, you know, that's the backbone of it. And I think, you know, we created this whole hashtag social life for your hair and Larry's world and stuff like that. And it, that was very early on. We created like a bit of a website and a blog and there was me and my wife. We created it. You know, she was, she's a kind of a graphic designer. So we created this website where she, we was, it was like a blog type thing and we could share all of these moments. And then quite quickly I had someone who's like, you know, your times you need to open a salon. So it kind of felt quite, quite seamless so when we started looking for a salon the whole idea was that it was going to be a social life for your hair it was going to be a place where everybody was welcome there was no you know a lot of salons in london have a kind of a how can i explain it sometimes they can feel slightly uncomfortable when you walk in you know they're not friendly they're a little bit you know you feel a bit intimidated Mm. and i really wanted to create a place where Everybody was welcome, doesn't matter who you are from whatever you're doing and you walk in and you feel like you're greeted instantly with a smile and hi, how are you? And really nice like atmosphere and everyone feels welcome. No one gets treated any differently. Mm. And that was the that was the, the salon's sort of ethos. And I think what came quite strongly from that was because a lot of my previous colleagues who I worked with all came to work with for me uh-huh. and they're all my mates and they don't look at me now as the, their boss do you know what I mean they don't trust me <laughs> I'm the butt of the jokes in the salon they all laugh it is literally like it's a proper family so I think through that friendship that friendship is what makes the salon have that voice and have that feeling because we're all friends, no one feels scared or you know intimidated by anybody. And equally, they all know how to, you know, from the assistants at the bottom of, you know, all the way up to the most senior staff, everyone has to speak to everyone in the same manner. No one's above anyone. Um, it doesn't matter if you've only worked in my salon for a two two months or you've worked in it for ten years. You know what I mean? No one's above everyone. Everyone has to respect each other and everyone has to talk to each other, you know, Mm. the same way. And I think that really comes across and it's a real family and it's that atmosphere that comes through the salon and that's what is a social life for your hair. And um, I think that's why the salon is is done well because people come and they think it's just like, it's like being at home. They love it. People just can sit in there all day and and people like you know you'll get celebrities that sit there next to each other next to other people and everyone starts having conversations and it's just a fun it's just yeah it's like that I love that it's pretty magic it sounds it so that was 2017 that you opened your flagship salon in South Kensington with within months of that opening 
the salon had been named London's hottest new salon by Tatler, number one salon for 2018 by Harper's Bazaar, and best London salon for a blow dry by The Telegraph. Now, this might be a tricky question for you to answer, but what do you think it is about your approach to hair that made such an impact that resonated with so many people? Um, I think it's... We're all very good hairdressers. I've got an incredible group of hairdressers in there, mm-hmm. um, like truly talented artists. Um, and I, I, when I say that, I have new staff that come and join us and from other salons. And, you know, we tr- sort of teach them and, and we don't force sort of work against them. You don't say you have mm-hmm. to work in this way because this is the Larry King way. You know, everyone has learned their craft. You can just encourage them to then take on other aspects. But they often all come and say, wow, the level of hairdressing in here is just off the chart. And I think it's creating an atmosphere in a place where people love to be, which means that they love to get inspired and they love to work. And I think if you create that environment, people are a lot more open to absorb and create stuff do you know what i mean being happy and being in that position rather than if you're constantly trying to put pressure on people to not be creative or to follow a path they're not going to express themselves the way they should do and i think they've all got the the talent and the ability to do that so that's what encourages them to express themselves that much more and make be incredible artists themselves and I think, you know, I lead to, I always learn to lead from the, you know, from the front in the respects that I kind of inspire them. I work very hard. So they always see me working. So there's not like a case of, oh, he d- doesn't do a lot. So why are we doing all the hard work? You know, I tend to try and inspire them to work hard and, and you know, create opportunities for, the, for us all. Do you know what I mean? So we're all constantly evolving. So I think that's why the salon is kind of got them them you know accolades because people come there and they're like wow these people are really into their hair and they really like it and they really care about the looks that they're creating and what they're giving to each person and i think that's a huge part of that you know what i mean if someone gives someone a blow dryer if you've got someone who's giving you a blow dryer because they're really into hair and they want to really create a masterpiece on your hair you're going to feel that yeah you know what i mean and I think that's quite special. So I think that, that you know, that's why the salon is quite leading. And in fact, both, you know, both, obviously both salons are like that. Mm. Yeah. I, of course, want to talk about your hair care line, but I would love to spend a bit more time on your career as a hairstylist, given your resume. You have worked on many, many, many fashion shows, most recently at London Fashion Week for Erdem. I am so fascinated by the process of designing the hair and beauty looks for runways. So how does that process work for you? Are you looking at a collection and then immediately you have the idea in your head or is the designer coming to you and working quite collaboratively? Where does it's the very much collaboratively. Begin? Yeah. No, it's very much collaboratively. You go, you meet the, the designer. Um, they have a story from what they've created their collection from inspiration from the past you know iconic moments that have gone in history 
within fashion, the arts, you know, and, you know, across the board can be, you know, from any era. And I think, you know, they come and they show you their inspiration and all of these different factors that have brought a show together. And I think you then take that inspiration and you look at imagery from that era, you know, they turn around and give you slight ideas of kind of what they might slightly want. And you go away, well, you don't go away, you're, while you're there, you create different looks on a model. They might say, you know, mm, well, that's not quite right there, but I kind of like this feeling here. So then you go away and you develop the feeling that you're getting right. It's a bit more. And that kind of manifests itself into the end result. So mm. you do like a good trial. I think with, when it comes to shows, you've, and you're put in front of these lead huge designers, you can't take things personally. You have to work and adapt with them. You know, it's their art, artistry that you're trying to show off. So it's about you complementing the look that they want. And I think it's a case of, um, you know, you working alongside them. If And, you know, if they turn around and say, "Not, I don't like that, you don't take that personally. You go away and you, you, you work and take the positives from why they are feeling it so you build the picture it's all about building the picture and taking bits out and removing bits and bringing bits in until you get to your end the end result that they're happy um and you know and and then it's a collaborative part part you take aspects of what was going on in that era maybe and you know if, if it's someone's looking for soft hair and do you know what I mean? In a Renaissance mm. hair or someone's looking for, a, you know, something from, an, you know, the third 20s, 30s, you know, I mean, they want more of a slick, wet look or, you know, you can kind of, that gives you the, the direction or a mirrored shine and so on and so forth. Yeah, that process is so fascinating to me because it's so many elements coming together. I think as a young hairdresser, what I would say is anyone who's learning to get, wants to get into that mm. level of hairdressing is to really, really, and I do this with a lot of my assistants, is I set them target them them kind of projects on looking at eras mm-hmm. and really studying the hair from each era, from the 20s to the, the 1900s to earlier, working way up all the way through, you know, different music eras and, do you know what I mean, different references from different you know eras to the 60s you know to the 50s the 40s the 70s the 80s the 90s you know all the way up so you can because all of these things can play a part i use like funny enough because i liked movies when i was a kid so much and i've watched so many movies i often use a lot of movie stars as references um massively funny enough so uh my so yeah I think that plays a, that's played a big part in my in, in my looks that I create. Designing a red carpet look is so interesting as well because I guess where runway hair can be quite, you know, avant-garde or it can be a reference from so long ago, red carpet I suppose has to be slightly more wearable but still elevated, which I think is such an interesting balance to strike. As There's where a different... There's a real difference. Sorry, there's a real yeah. difference across the board. Yeah, you know, like a show, you're looking to create a similar look mm-hmm. on 35 girls, but equally pull out slightly parts of their personality, yep. but create a similar look 
on a red carpet, you're looking to create a look that has to look good in quite every angle. Yeah. Of for that star. Whereby an editorial and a photo shoot for a magazine or an editorial, it just has to look good in that image. So it doesn't mm. matter what the back's looking like or what the left hand side's doing. As long yeah. as it's whatever angle it's been shot at, it looks great. It doesn't matter. Trust me. So I've done red carpets that you know need to look good on every angle, but then I'll do a photo shoot and from the right hand side it looks fantastic, but from the left hand side it looks like a right mess. And there's someone there with a wind blower making sure that it's in exactly the right spot. Exactly spot so that the right hand side looks great. And it's all about so it's it's very different aspects all the way through. You can't Mm. you know you can't if you're doing a photo shoot, there's no good spending a million like you know hours making it perfect because it only needs to look good from one direction that that picture's taken and then you can get in and move it for the other direction do you know mm. what i mean so it's a, it needs to be transitional in a photo shoot whereby yeah. for a red carpet it needs to be like set and locked in and yeah the the process of I guess designing that look for the carpet, as an example, you've just wrapped your tour with Jared Leto while he's doing press for We Crashed. How does that yeah. process differ from, say, a runway? Is it equally as collaborative? Yeah, it's very much collaborative, but it's collaborative with the star rather yeah. than, you know, rather than the designer. And it's about the star feeling comfortable, feeling happy, feeling um, confident, you know, it's all of the, these things they need to feel good in themselves and that, like, you know, because that's, these are all the key things definitely. Mm. On stars, you've worked with Gigi Hadid, Poppy and Cara Delevingne, Tom Holland, Chris Hemsworth, just a couple of small up and comers. These are the people that consumers are looking to for their inspiration for the next season it's almost part of their job to be ahead of the trend which is where you obviously come in how do you gauge where hair trends are headed where does that inspiration come from for you i think um (laughs) i'm so sorry i've got my washing machine going on in the background can you hear it i can't but i've got mine on as well and it (laughs) In the Sorry. honestly, in the like, last ten minutes, it got to you know when she gets angry. It got oh, to she's, the angry. she's pretty yeah. angry right now. I can't and hear I was it like, at all. Oh my god! All right, okay. I was a bit like, oh my gosh, you can hear me. Can you, is the washing machine going? Your yeah, house is being broken into. Sorry. Yeah, no. Um, sorry, Daddy. I just wanted to double check that. All good. Um, I'm keeping that in as well because mine is <laughs> going in the background as well. Um. But yeah, no, I think when you said about Gigi, what was, you, was the question again? Sorry, about Gigi. How being... do you know where the trends are headed? Because that's, I mean, partially on you because people are looking to to Gigi, whoever it is, for their, you know, inspiration for it, their next cut. Yeah, I think it's a case of like, you know, when you're doing the red carpet, if you do, it depends if you're doing a haircut or you're doing a style, you know, on the red carpet you're working with, again, you're working with the the model or the, you know, the star, but you're also, again, you've got to work with the clothes that they're wearing that day. So you've got to take all of these aspects in. Uh, you've got to look at the clothes, maybe think about the era that they're in. So you could take a bit of an inspiration from the era that the clothes look like they've come from. Um, 
you know, and it's the same with a haircut. You know, if you want someone wants to be changed up, I think a haircut for me is needs to be versatile. Mm. And this is crucial. A haircut shouldn't be able to have to be styled in just one way. You should be able to get lots of different I mean, looks out of a hairstyle. Whether it be someone who's got long hair with layers, you know what I mean, to a very short hairstyle, you should still be able to get different looks from it. And funny enough, we've just done a whole shoot that's hopefully you'll see, you guys. And it's about hairstyles from, you know, sort of grown out crops that you can wear in different ways. Amazing. Whether it's to, to, you know, long hair and having super layers or having, you know, a lot of fringe area. And it's just about embracing different styles and getting different eras out of them. So, yeah. Okay, last styling question. Beyond red carpet, beyond runway, you and your team recently worked on the styles, cuts and colours for season three of Sex Education, so another space entirely. Again, how does that process differ from what we've already touched on? How do you go about creating a look for a character as opposed to someone who is being themselves? Yeah, I mean, that comes down to the directors and the director saying mm. that this character needs to have this type of look. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, you know, there's a hairdresser that's and a creative that's on that shoot already and making them, you know, is working on that. And they come to us and said, look, we want you to create the colours and so on and so forth. So we kind of, um, they already had a direction. It was just mm. about them coming to a reputable place for us to, create them looks and execute it for them so like you know um when it comes to coming to mave you know they wanted a very short fringe so you know i went in and cut emma's hair cut her a very short choppy fringing micro fringe and then you know we we added we didn't actually we added the color afterwards but we created these different peak panels to kind of create that purple purple slices Mm -hmm. to her hair so yeah it's a kind of you know for that, it was a very, very simple thing. It was just a case of they had a direction and it was a case of me working it so that it suited Emma but it was, and looked cool, but it, you know, I mean, it, and it was fitting. So 2017, you open the salon. 2018, you launch Larry King Hair Care with your wife, Laura. Had you already started thinking about launching your own brand when you were in the process of opening the salon? Um, yeah, we, it was always a plan. It was always yeah. in there. It was always from the day one. It was always, we do the salon and then we're going to do the, this product range. You know what I mean? It was a, it was always that we had both things in the pro in there and we both really wanted to create them both in aspects. Uh, so, you know, the, the idea was to launch the salon and get the salon off the ground. I think the products came along a lot quicker than mm-hmm. what we anticipated. Um, I think the salon success came along quite quickly um i think we planned on really you know working on the salon and 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 it maybe the products would have came about three years later or four years later but they actually ended up coming only i think a year later Mm. we started to create them and we come out we had already earmarked so when we was doing the salons we'd already had like chats about what we wanted to create and so on and so forth um uh so my we had these, I had three hero products that I wanted to launch. Uh, they were the ones that I'd used through my session work and career and things that I'd been discontinued, discontinued that I was my hero products that I loved. 
I think it was always a case of products that needed to be, you could be interuse them and interlink them and stuff like that to create different styles and looks. You could layer them on top of each other or you could, you know, so you could, it was, they, they were products like that. And that's what was set them, I think set them apart is the, the fact that products that could be really um, interlinked. Do you know what I mean? My, my watching machine is absolutely having it in the background. I sincerely cannot hear it. <laughs> right, okay, sorry. <laughs> the, the earphones are doing magic work, really. Magic work, okay. Um, but, yeah, so I think it's that these three, the three hero products was definitely all about using them to create multiple different styles and get like lots of different uses out of them. Um, and yeah, they are my heroes and I, I, you know, we use them continuously in the salons and that's it. You launched with three different shampoos. Why is that? Talk me through your approach to shampoo in particular, because I understand it's sort of different to what else exists. Yeah, it's kind of, it kind of, it, it goes back to the three initial styling products. We've looked at, we tried to look at hairdressing from a hairdresser's point of view to a client rather than just yeah. a client's point of view. So, you know, it's about showing people the tips and tricks of what a hair, what products do. So for instance, and where this helps is the fact that because my wife isn't a hairdresser, but she is extremely creative. She would see us doing certain things that we as hairdressers take for granted, but they, you know, and, but she can pick up on, do you yeah. know what I mean? And, and where a lot of hairdressers would take these elements for granted, you know, and we wouldn't really communicate these to our clients. She would see and go, actually, you do need to, because these are the simple things that clients should do that would really Im improve them. So, for instance, like, like I said, the first three products, it was about how we apply them and how we could use them on multiple different people. And then when it came to the shampoos, it was about going into the salons and, um, you know, when you go into a salon, you have two shampoos. Nine times out of 10, most people mm. have two shampoos in the salon and they have two different types of shampoo put on their hair and they walk out of the salon and they go, wow, my hair feels amazing. But they tend to buy only one shampoo. Yeah. And quite quickly, they find that the hair works, it, the shampoo works well. But what can happen is after two or three weeks, that shampoo becomes quite heavy on their hair or it might dry the scalp out a bit more. Do you know what I mean? Because you're mm. applying the same product on the hair continuously. Yeah. We then looked at it and was like, right, we're going to create a wash cycle. And the wash cycle is that you will use, interuse these three different shampoos at different times during the week so that your hair is getting these different goodness. It's very much like your skincare. That's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like having a primer. You know, you're at first you're mm. using a cleanser and a primer you know what I mean? Or a mask, you know, and it's the same thing. It's like you wouldn't eat the same food every day. So why would you put the same thing on your hair every day? Because mm. your hair would get used to it and then it becomes, you don't get the benefits. So the idea is that you interuse these shampoos continuously. Uh, one will be to cleanse out the impurities in the hair, but it also maintains, you know, the condition, the color of the hair. So it's not too harsh. They've got no parabens, sulfates or silicon. So they're very natural. But they look to really maintain this so the city life will really look to cleanse the hair and take out their impurities but also maintain your hair and combat kind of hard water and different things like that 
Then you've got the Good Life, which is extremely nourishing shampoo. Um, you know, a very uh, intense shampoo that's going to really condition and put a lot of goodness into the, your hair. Do you know what I mean? And really, mm. you know, enhance the color and, and shine and so on and so forth. And then you had the social life shampoo and that's for when you're going out and it's kind of got like a bit of a gritty feel to it. So it helps you get that big volume. Do you know what I mean? It leaves mm. your hair feeling clean, but it also gives you that shine and it makes you, your hair feel like you're on a red carpet. Do you know what I mean? So it's kind of like the idea is that you, you plan your life. And also the other factor is, you know, people, through the month have different hormones and they have different yeah. things happen to them. So, you know, you might have a greasy scalp at one point or you might have dry ends. So it's kind of the whole idea is that you works through your month with these different shampoos and you use them and they're going to last you, you know, if you buy three shampoos, they're going to last you the same as three shampoos, but you're going to get different goodness continuously mm. out of them. God, so it it's, makes again, sense. It's thinking of, yeah, it's thinking about yeah. it in a hairdresser's point of view rather than, necessarily do you know what i mean just a yeah. shampoo point of view my whole ethos towards skin is just picking and choosing what my skin needs on any given day so it makes sense that we would be applying that same philosophy to the hair exactly yeah that's it that's it that was our philosophy mm. behind it so how does that product development process work for you are you constantly thinking about what's going to come next are you working off consumer demand or is it a bit of both i think it's no i think it's literally where we products that we like what we earmark we think of nice ideas um you know we then obviously we thought of the liquid hairbrush conditioner mm. you know, it's the idea is that it's a very lightweight you get all of the goodness from the shampoos so the liquid hairbrush is purely for a detangling you know mirrored shine cuticle smoothing conditioner it's very probably very light very um very light we we actually came up with the idea on our young daughter because she would have very tangly hair and we mm-hmm. would look into things that would, you know, like f- allow those tangles to fall out very simply. Without tears. Without tears mm. and that, you know, so you could just... And so that was the idea of the liquid hairbrush. It was, you know, it is what it is. It's a liquid hairbrush. Um, so again, it's another idea and it's another thought. And I think the process is is to continuously look at things that are missing within the industry and missing within you know within you know hairdressing and what when what people are not being seen you know we come up with our flyaway kit mm. and you know it's a simple little thing that i would use on the shows and stuff like that and it's but it's you know it's gone huge it's a hair hack of you know hair hack hero of many but mm. uh, well huge it's huge so yeah, they're all, and we have got other things that are coming very soon that are follow the similar sort of path. Mm, a teaser. The range itself is refillable. Was sustainability important to you from the outset, or was the importance of creating these refillable, sustainable products something that you became more aware of once you were physically in the process of developing the products? No, I think we've always we've always been very conscious that. They have to be sustainable. Um, I think from day one, we was always looking at sustainability, literally. You know, our first three products, as you know, were brought out three, four years ago. They contain seeds within the packaging so that if the the cardboard boxes blow off into a, 
you know, they, you know, they fall out of your rubbish or trash and, you know, don't make it to a landfill. They'll, you know, they, they all turn to mush um, and the cardboard breaks down because it's, you know, it's that FSC cardboard and, you know, where the seeds are built in within it, forget-me-nots would grow. So, um, mm. it, you know, it, it's really about thinking about the world and the planet. And, you know, again, we've tried to use as minimum amount of plastic as we possibly can. Um, I think that as much as there is a lot of, you know, infinite recyclable plastic packaging now, if people don't put it in recyclable, yeah, it won't and it just stays there. Whereby, you know, glass and metals are elements so that you know they are natural so it's kind of a case of you know we try to use glass and metal and cardboard and so on and so forth and really limit the amount of plastic that is involved in all of our products so yeah i think and and obviously you know no animal testing so we try to Mm. really tick all of the boxes of making them as natural as possible um with sustainability and and you know all of that all involved in it really Larry King Hair Care is a global brand and as of, I believe, April 14, <laughs> it will be available here via Adore Beauty, which is very exciting. Yes, I'm super excited about that. That's amazing. And it was okay. really, it sends goosebumps what you just saying that. So it's amazing. I'm, it's incredible. I'm thrilled. That's the goal of every interview. When can it's we really hit those good. goosebumps? Yeah, you just it. have. You just have. <laughs> massively. Well, I assure you we are just as excited as you are. Having worked all over the world and having this brand that it literally is a global brand, have you noticed any major differences in the ways that people are approaching hair care or even hairstyling from region to region? Any trends that you're seeing in one location that differ from another? Oh, yeah, definitely. And I think you do have to consider that is a huge, mm-hmm. you know, that's a huge part of hairdressing, my product range. And I think that is definitely something that we, again, we're developing. We really look at our products, you know, to, to you know, um, to work with all different cultures, do you know what I mean, and hair types. I think, um, you know, the flyaway kits we're bringing out. We have got two new products coming out. We've got a um, My Nana's Mousse, which I think you will receive very soon. I can say it now. It is available and should be coming in the next round. Amazing. Uh, Which is quite cool. It's based on um, me blow-drying my nan's hair. Yeah, <laughs> so it's, hence the name. it's called My Nana's Moose. <laughs> we do have other products that are very close to coming out, which again work with it within different hair types and different, you know, different needs. Uh, so I think it's 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 yeah, I think it's massively crucial that you identify products that work in different regions. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And different hair types and. And and that's why I think our products are really we've really took time to, you know, tailor that to all of these different markets. Do you know what I mean? And people can pick up different parts of the products. Do you know what I mean? To mm. to achieve it, to use to achieve their results. You have been part of the beauty industry since you were seventeen. What are some of the biggest changes that you've seen within the beauty industry, say, over the last few years? Wow. Um, what are some of the biggest changes? I think, I think the the beauty industry is always evolving, mm. um, and I think what's crucial right now is the fact that the beauty industry is really, you know, really looking at 
you know, all different hair types, especially, you know, and really embracing that and really educating everybody. And I think this is a crucial thing. I think that everybody does need to, if you're a hairdresser, you do need to be able to do everybody's hair type from, you know, straight, wavy, curly, coily hair, you know, to the, you know, fine, medium to thick hair to whatever the background, you know, whatever the, the hair type is, I think it's crucial that we, as hairdressers, should all, if you're a qualified hairdresser, you should be able to, you know, work with anyone's hair type and really achieve their desired results. So I think that's a big movement in hairdressing that's really moving in the right way right now. Um, I think uh, the beauty industry, yeah, is just, it's a great creative space to be in. And I think it's through that, it's always evolving. I work with some incredible brands that are pushing boundaries across the, you know, across the world. And I, I think, um, I think the other factor is, you know, hair health has been a huge part in the beauty industry. You know, we're like kind of the couple of years ago where health probably wasn't, you know, it wasn't a factor. People would mm. just apply all sorts from firming lotions to high intensity heat to this, to that. You know, now people want to really preserve the condition of their hair and maintain it because they know that they're going to receive the ultimate results with healthy hair. So um, I think these are all things that I've noticed in the last couple of years that it's really benefited and grown. And what are some changes you think we can expect to see from the industry over the coming few years? I think hair health, I think uh, awareness of, you know, all, all, all different styles. Um, I think, you know, all of this will be incorporated in hairdressing, I think, um, and the beauty world. I think, uh, I think hair is just about to have its moment. Mm. which is super exciting for me in the respects that I think that makeup has, you know, been the forefront for a long while and skincare has. And I think Harry is about to really have its moment and be a huge catalyst. I think that, you know, education to clients, you know, clients really learning how to deal with their hair and get the best out of their hair and really embracing their hair type, whatever it may be. And, and then seeking to get the best for them the best out of themselves rather than trying to go against something that's maybe not what they can achieve because it do you know what I mean it's going to create mm. a lot of harshness you know sometimes you would blow dry someone's hair who's got curly or coily hair and you blow dry it in a certain way but they don't get that natural feeling or movement that they would do if they were to maybe do it in a way that would encourage and to embrace their natural texture and I think and then it would feel that luxurious and soft and movable and that's you know you know my wife has very 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 curly hair and it, you know we blow dry hair and it does tend to move in one one sort of amount <laughs> yeah. rather than when it's curly it moves in multiple amounts because it's got sort of separation and texture and it's life in it so it's kind of like i think it's yeah this hair is about to have its moment and i think that these are factors that i like to do account and I think they're part of me as a hairdresser that's what I've championed all the way through really my final question what is next for Larry King hair what is next for Larry King hair is going to be a um wow um we've got some big news coming in about it's not quite secured yet so I mm -hmm. can't quite say it but I would say that within two weeks you will know um, but there is possibly other salons 
that are kind of open that maybe not in the UK. Um, and I think, you know, more, more, more products that are going to, you know, define hairdressing and push, push it and help clients, you know, help the consumers create their dream hair and have me on their fingertips. That was Larry King, founder of Larry King Hair Care, who you can find on Instagram at Larry King Hair and at Larry King Hair Care. To read this interview, you can visit glowjournal.com and for more beauty news, you can find me on Instagram at jemkwatts or at glow.journal. If you liked this episode, please do not forget to subscribe, rate, review and share so other beauty and business lovers can find us. I'm Gemma Watts. You've been listening to the Glow Journal podcast and thank you for joining me.